0: From the fabled Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another aromatic episode of Chemical-Free Horticultural Hijinks. You bet your garden. Hardneck garlic varieties are colorful and taste great, but they don't store well. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and on today's show, I'll discuss your safe garlic preservation options. And, of course, we'll take your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and blessedly brief belligerencies. So keep your eyes, ears, and or psychic protuberances right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you inviting friends over for dinner, just so you can say, would you like some fresh garlic with that? Right after this. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, broadcasting from the Univest Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're going to have a fun question of the week at the end of the show. If you are watching on TV, you'll see it. If you're listening on a podcast or radio station, we urge you to go to our website and watch the TV version of this show. Because we got some good show and tell about many ways of preserving your garlic harvest, which is going to be so much fun. Now, it's time for your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Vicki, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, how you doing? I am just Ducky Vicky. We almost what? we almost had a fright this morning. We could not find Ducky. He was uh swimming around in one of the water fountains on the second floor, but we managed to coax him back down to the studio. So, all is, is well.
2: Wonderful.
0: Wonderful. And uh where is Vicky?
2: Eastern Mid
0: Eastern North Carolina. What can we do you for?
2: Well, I've had this um, hosta for probably six or seven years. I call it a blue hosta. And this year, it didn't grow. It's only about five inches across. And Mm -hmm. it used to be, you know, a foot and a half across. And I'm wondering what's wrong with it.
0: I have a picture here that I believe you sent us. And I'm yes. looking at it. Now, you say it's been in the ground five years. Uh, was it normal size previously? Yes.
2: Never had any problems with it.
0: Okay. What is this mulch I see underneath it?
2: Um, it's, it's just leaves. stuff. I, nothing I've really put there. It's just, you know, dead leaves that have fallen off the pecan tree.
0: Okay. Um, how are your pecans?
2: because
0: even squirrels eat them all the time. Uh-huh, evil squirrels. They get all the best of the harvest. Now, when was this picture taken? I mean, these seem to be a, a baby yeah. plants.
2: Taken, um, let's see, I'd say probably May.
0: And uh, things have not improved since then?
2: No, no, it hasn't died. I had another one beside it, and that one died.
0: Really? Okay, do you have it? A- do you have a treated lawn?
2: Unfortunately, this year, yes it was it was treated by an evil gardener who is no longer working for me.
0: Oh, okay, so I think uh, I think I you know hit the first ball out of the park. That's probably what's happening um, really? The, yeah, yeah, I'm sure they used uh, a broadleaf herbicide. Pardon.
2: Weed and feed.
0: Weed and feed, yeah. That's the enemy of most wanted plants. So the weather this year has been crazy across the country. How has your rainfall been?
2: It's been horrible. The last um, two weeks, it's been great. But we're still under a drought. It's Ah. been really, really bad this summer.
0: Okay, that's just adding to the pressure on these plants, Uh, the remedy or really the only thing you can do when your plants have been sprayed is to keep soaking the area in the hope that you wash some of the herbicide out of the ground. So I would urge you, especially because you have that wonderfully long season uh, to do that, you you know, if there's only one or two plants left, just take a hose out to them and let them drip, just literally drip like an annoying faucet for 24 hours every other day. You really want to wash the root zone. And it would probably be a good idea to rake up this um, um, kind of mulch, that accidental mulch, and uh, compost that and you replace it with w- real shredded leaves. Um, do anything you can to get that out of there. But whenever a plant suffers from herbicide sprays, um, a dry spell will really hammer it.
2: Okay. All Mike, right. Mike, I love your program.
0: Well, thank you. We love you. At 888- 492-944- Lou, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. Happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here, Lou. How you doing, man? Doing fine. It's a beautiful day in middle Tennessee. Tennessee. Uh, middle of Tennessee. Uh, so where are you exactly? About 15 miles south of Nashville. All right. What can we do for you?
3: Well, I've got uh, two large hydrangea bushes at about seven years old. Uh, and for the last two or three years, they have failed to bloom. Uh, they grow great. Uh, they're huge plants, uh, but no blooms on them. I trim them back to short shoots every year because I, they just get so big I can't not trim them. And they're well watered. They get sunshine about five or six hours a day in the summer. Uh, and they appear to be healthy, but just no blooms. And I can't figure out what I've done wrong.
0: Um, cowboy pruning could, <laughs> could, yes, could that be a possibility? <laughs> it um, could be, yeah. one of my favorite moments on this show is I had, uh, a guy on who was the director of something at one of our local arboretums. And he was coming on to discuss hydrangea pruning because it confuses the heck out of lots of people. And I said, ah, I'm so glad to have you on. So many people don't know anything about pruning hydrangeas. And he goes, neither do I. Every, (laughs) Every year they surprise me. So we talked and we talked and we talked. And between the two of us, we came up with what I believe is a truly new technique. First of all, at the end of the season, don't touch the plants and in the beginning of the next season you know hydrangeas are not the first plants to bloom they kind of follow the spring bulbs All right so as your hydrangeas uh, proceed don't touch them and then watch. I suspect that you will start to see flower buds appear. Now you have to be patient. Just let those flower buds continue to progress until they're open or just about open. Then you take your pruners and you cut off any of the stalks that have leaves but no flowers. And that will shorten the plant to some degree But it will also make it look like you have three times as many flowers because there aren't all these gigantic leaves in the way. Some hydrangeas bloom on old wood, wood that has existed for a year or two. Some hydrangeas bloom on new wood, woody stems that Mm -hmm. appeared for the first time that season. Every time you think you know what you got, it proves you wrong. So you can't depend on that. And I suspect that the seasonality also has uh, something to do. They can go back and forth um, in terms of where they put their flowers out. But this is without doubt the easiest and most foolproof way. And then, again, you just continue. Every time you go out, you see um, a branch that has no flowers. Cut that off and cut that off at the base of the plant. Don't just cut it off halfway down or anything. And this will also stimulate new growth that will continue to give you more flowers. You can get a totally covered hydrangea if you put the pruning work into it and by doing this um, over and over again you'll lower the height of the plants over the years but you'll also have more flowers outside and really nice flowers inside hydrangeas last a long time in the vase so
3: next year when i don't touch this this year and next spring or late spring I should start seeing, for the first time in several years, some blooms on the thing. So,
0: Yes, sir. All right. I appreciate it, Mike. All right. Good luck to you. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. little Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. little little box little little box little little Two little
4: bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little
1: bugs, little bugs, little
2: Little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug. One little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug. One little bug, little bug,
1: little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug.
0: Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody out there that it is still prime time for fall planting of crops like garlic, salad greens, and onions in most of the country. So get out there and get growing. I'm your still-growing host, Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA.
2: This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem,
0: WLVR.org. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of the Univest Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. We are going to preserve garlic three different ways. It was supposed to be just about drying and grinding it into garlic powder, but no, I had to keep doing research, so you'll have options. But that comes up after more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Emily, welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
5: Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: It's a pleasure to have you here, Em. How you doing?
5: I'm doing well. It's it's a pretty nice day here in Nashville.
0: Oh, it's always a nice day in Nashville, right? (laughs) Yes. All right. Let's get to work. What do you need?
5: So... I don't know why this has happened, but this year, armadillos have literally invaded my flower garden and just destroyed it. It looks like a bomb went off. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what to do. This is the first year this has happened. They're very brazen. They they ran up to my neighbor's door and just started scratching on the glass. They're not afraid of my dogs. I don't want to hurt them, but I they're really just creating havoc in my garden.
0: <laughs> Maybe they just wanted to come in and watch TV. Maybe they were bored. <laughs> Armadillos, of course, are one of the three weirdest animals on the planet. Um, They almost have their own classification, Um, but they are insect eaters, and they are insect eaters at ground level, but mostly underground. Like Mm -hmm. moles, they dig burrows so they can get down and eat earthworms and grubs and cicada larvae. Um, they only feast at night. Um, but you have to be careful in dealing with them and keep your pets away from them because, of all things, they are a vector for leprosy. I mean, these Ew. these creatures are so weird, it's, it's like, a, it's unbelievable. <laughs> so <laughs> the first thing I want you to do is I want you to go to the website of my dear, dear, dear friend, the dirt doctor, Howard okay. Garrett. Now, he's uh, he does what I do, but he does it in Texas, and uh-huh. Texas has a lot of armadillo problems. So, Howard would be great at um giving advice and I just go to his website it's the dirt doctor and then just click on things and I'm sure he'll have publications up there about controlling armadillos oh good now what I remember is you can trap them by using a have a heart trap are you familiar with those I'm not It's 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 an animal trap that the animals go inside and then the door shuts down and they're inside, but they're not hurt yet. Okay. And and what you would do is get a have a heart. uh, Believe me, if if you have armadillos, so do your neighbors. So uh, go to a home center or hardware store and say you want uh, a have a heart trap big enough for an armadillo. Okay. And then what you would do is you would bait it with rotten fruit. Ooh. They don't eat the rotten fruit, but the rotten fruit will attack, attract a lot of insects that will therefore know. attract the armadillo. Should this occur again in the future, go out there the next morning wearing good gloves and collect okay. um the unearthed flowers and bring them in and put them in vases. Well, a lot of people, true, a lot of people don't know that it's an old florist trick. You can preserve peonies in a refrigerator for months. Really? Yes. You what? you cut the blooms with a good amount of stem. Um, you moisten newspaper, and then uh, spritz it again with a mister on the outside and then put it in the coldest part of your refrigerator and, you know, you might be able to put them out on the table at Thanksgiving.
5: Wow, that's amazing.
0: Um, the problem is if you do trap them, you can't relocate them. That is oh. ag- that is against Texas law, and I would imagine it's against the law in Tennessee. Um Okay. So my two, uh, have you tried any repellents?
5: No, I, I did have like a little fence put up, but it wasn't 18 inches down, and they just pushed it aside and barged on in.
0: Yeah, of course. They're good at that. But anything, anything that goes underground at 14 inches, and then the top needs to lean outward so they can't climb up it. Okay. You know, and you may be able to find nice fencing. You know, just don't buy the first thing you see. Um, yeah. But it they are a difficult creature to, oh, you know what? You can also limit their interest in your um, area by eliminating the lawn grubs in your soil. Alex. okay. And these are the grubs of Japanese and other uh, scarab beetle family members. So um, if you release beneficial nematodes, which are fairly available um, at some retail locations, but definitely by mail order, water those into the soil early in the evening as your soil is warming up, and they will seek out and destroy any of the grubs, which means less Japanese beetle problems for you. So, uh, Oh, I like that. Yeah, exactly. They'll still be there for the earthworms, but you may cut their potential harvest in half. But,
5: Sounds like the way to go.
0: Yeah, get in touch with my friend Howard, com. He knows a lot about armadillos.
5: <laughs> well, thank you so much, Mike. My friend Brenda and I listen to you every Saturday morning, and we just appreciate all the great advice you give everybody.
0: I love being on the air in Nashville and Memphis. It is just. Uh, just brings me joy. Yay! <laughs> All
5: right. Well, come you visit us sometime.
0: <laughs> you take care. Thanks, you too. Bye-bye. bye 888 88-492-9444. Dennis, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello, Mike. How are you? I am excellent. Ducky. Great. In fact, you sound like you got a little hoarseness going on.
6: Yeah, I've got a bit of a sore throat.
0: All right. Well. Elm juice or something like that, isn't it? What you're supposed to do. Uh where are you, Dan? I'm in Hopewell, New Jersey. Oh, okay. Not too far from us. Uh what can we do you for? I have a
6: question. I actually emailed you a year ago, over a year ago now, uh, about a problem I was having starting uh seedlings indoors. Okay. Uh, the leaves would uh, cut leaves would fall off prematurely
1: mm-hmm. and
6: leaves would curl and more leaves would fall off and uh, the plants really suffered and did not thrive while they were indoors. Uh, okay,
0: so what's, we, what's your growing medium? The growing medium
6: at that time was something from uh, uh, miracle Grow, but I've since switched to Aposa for this year. Aposa, I can't pronounce it properly.
0: Oh, Espoma. But, uh,
6: I switched it. Yeah, Poma. And uh, <laughs> that made no. Di- Unfortunately, that didn't make any difference.
0: Okay, no, it's generally cultural problems when you're starting seeds. What kind of containers
6: uh little flats of you know six cell or 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 uh, nine cell depending on the, whether it's tomatoes or peppers or uh, lettuce
0: gotcha and um what did you use uh for extra light? let's start with that
6: okay uh historically, I've used uh fluorescent tubes and that worked fine except mm-hmm. of course tomatoes always get leggy in that no matter what you do uh. So I bought some of the LED lights and tried those. And the one thing that's been constant across the two years is I used the LED lights. And I'm beginning to believe that uh, maybe they're too intense for the plants, even though I kept them two feet away, as the the instructions said to do.
0: I'm so happy to have you on right now, because I had used, for many years, four-tube, four-foot-long fluorescent fixtures, And they Mm -hmm. gave me perfect starts. And then I got fascinated with these, quote, garage lights, these, quote, deformable LEDs with wings. And I lost my whole crop of seedlings uh, this spring. They just burnt Uh too crisp. Uh, They are surprisingly hot for LEDs. And as you may realize, uh, starts... Simply want bottom heat until they sprout, and then they're not that sensitive about heat as long as it's like fifty-five to seventy. Um, but I lost, in, and I'm serious. I lost my entire crop. I had to go out and uh, had to go out and. Uh, <laughs> I can't talk today. I've been away too long. <laughs> I had to. I had to go out and buy started plants. And then I I noticed that it, you know I was able to rescue some shipwrecked survivors and grow them out, but they were they were struggling for a while. So I'll have a great late crop of tomatoes, but I'm going to have to reevaluate those LEDs. Um, there is a lot of heat coming off those things. So at the very least, I got to set up a fan in there. Uh, yeah, to- yeah well,
6: I did have a, I did have a fan, but that didn't. Uh... Didn't seem to help.
0: Okay. The symptoms are-
6: Maybe you made it worse.
0: No, (laughs) no, no, no. Um, Matter of fact, there's an old technique I haven't mentioned in ages. uh, When you have a lot of tomato starts all in a row or all in the same basic area, you take an index card and gently, I don't know, knock them over with it. (laughs) You know, I don't know how you gently knock anything over. But you uh you kind of semi abuse them, and then their natural instinct is to become stronger, so right. that used to be something that a lot of seed starters did. I haven't heard it mentioned in years. Well, the symptoms you describe to me are the symptoms of overwatering
6: uh-huh uh yeah that that made would make sense to me too, except that the uh the root balls in the in the plants seem to be. Very good, I mean mm-hmm. they fill up the pot and uh, you know come out and I mean a few of them didn't because the ones that were really badly affected just were just badly affected everywhere, but most of them came out with uh, you know very uh, what do I call them stout roots, very good roots right. that held held the right. held the potting soil together nicely when I took them out.
0: right, the um, ones that didn't, however, were the roots rotten, were they slimy?
6: No, they were just sparse.
0: Okay, when you were starting under fluorescent lights, uh, how long the bulbs, how many bulbs?
6: Uh, Four-foot bulbs, and I usually started out with four when I was starting the season, and then upped it to uh, eight as the plants got bigger and uh, really demanded more light.
0: Who let this guy on the show? Come on, don't we screen these costs? <laughs> oh, man, it sounds like you've been doing most everything right Um and except,
6: except being sucked in by the LEDs it sounds is not a good thing
0: yeah oh no no um exactly right. Um, generally the symptoms you describe are from uh, too much water but you're saying your starts under the fluorescence uh, were fine yeah. We were sucked in yeah, by the late-night TV ads, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. If Let's you're, if you're up after 10 o'clock at night, hide your credit card.
6: <laughs> it's the Internet. <laughs> we'll blend the Internet.
0: Why not? It's, it's the cause of all other distress in the world. Yeah, right. I think you're easy, um, which is not to say you're cheap. My mother used to say it's okay. <laughs> it's okay to be easy as long as you're not cheap. Um, But I think next year I'm going to go back to my main crop being under four-tube fluorescence fixtures, four feet long. And um, I'll experiment on a small basis with these um, deformable LEDs. It's just possible that they need to be like six feet away from the plants or something.
6: Right, It It is pretty bright in there when they're on.
0: Well, generally Um. plants like... Bright light when they're getting <laughs> started, you know, otherwise they can get leggy. Uh, one piece of advice I can give you if you haven't been doing this already uh, well, first of all, you and I are both going to go back to fluorescence. And, yeah, it sounds that way. Yeah, and if you haven't done so already, buy new bulbs. Right. Because over the course of even one season of seed starting, Uh, fluorescent tubes lose a lot of their luminosity even though they Mm -hmm. look just fine. Right. That's all I got. Yep.
6: That's all you got. Okay. I I I did have one thought. Go ahead. I did have one thought. I thought thought perhaps my water softener was uh, was,
0: uh, misoperating
6: and I was was salting the plants. So this summer when I was starting some uh, lettuce seeds, I just did them in my little window greenhouse Mm -hmm. and used, uh, you know, one was one was water softened water one was not and one was bottled water mm-hmm. and they look exactly the same huh. so, so i can't blame i can't blame the water
0: and <laughs> you were using the water softener water when you had success before
6: yes but, I, you know water softeners are mechanical things and they can fail
0: well i blame the leds although i do advise people who have water softeners to collect rainfall uh, for their starts, mm-hmm. it's not that hard to do. You don't need massive right. amounts, and there's n- nothing better than real rain. Right. Now, you know,
6: and I can also I can tap off before the the water softener to get the water too, so I don't have to. Uh,
0: that sounds like a lot the of,
6: work. of the winter. No, that's easier because it's all I got to do is turn the tap. I don't. You know. <laughs> my, outdoor, my outdoor hoses are all uh, not water softened.
0: Oh, so. that's good. Well, you could yeah, just use that water. Yep. all right man good luck so that, to you in the spring you right. make me feel better about my losses and let <laughs> it be a lesson to everybody out there you can be doing this stuff for 35 years and mm-hmm. every once in a while you're going to try something new and you're going to realize you didn't need anything
6: new. <laughs> yeah yeah and actually i've been doing this for probably closer to 50 years it's maybe a couple odd years where i missed because of uh you know, I was younger then and moving around a lot. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. I'm older than that now. All, All right. right. Well, thank you, sir. Well, thank you. You take care. Bye-bye. All right.
6: You too. Bye-bye.
0: Well, it's time for me to take another little break and remind everybody once again that the time to collect and shred fall leaves will soon be here. So get ready. A mulching mower is great for taking care of leaves on your lawn. But for the other places on your property, you should use a rechargeable leaf blower with a vacuum setting and collection bag. There's no bending, no raking. The machine sucks up the leaves, shreds them, and deposits the shredded leaves in the shoulder bag for compost making and easy mulching. I'm Reasonably Easy Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA.
1: Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural, organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at espoma.com.
0: Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, broadcasting from the Univest Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a few minutes, we will tell you all about several ways to preserve hardneck garlic for over-the-winter use, including the one that we do in the McGrath home but before that a couple more of your fascinating phone calls at 888-492-9444 Carlos welcome to you bet your garden thank you thank you for having me on oh thank you for being had Carlos how are you
4: i'm fine thank you and you 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 sound uh, as you say ducky
0: yes i am ducky my du- we <laughs> ducky disappeared this morning we had to search the building for oh. him. Yeah, he's playing in well, a water fountain. Even in yellow. <laughs> yeah, he's playing oh, in a water fountain on the second floor. Um, and where are you, uh, Carlos? I'm from a city called Mississauga in Ontario,
4: Canada. I hope you know it.
0: I know Ontario, that's for sure. I've been uh, up there. Uh, I uh, guess you would. Go ahead.
4: Would you know Toronto, Ontario? Closely, close. It's the next major city next to Toronto, Ontario, in Ontario. Canada.
0: Yeah, I tend to think of Ontario as closer to the middle of Canada.
4: Yeah, Ontario is a province. It's like a state, right? In, in the United States, it's like, uh, yeah. But Ontario has many uh, what we call uh, cities and municipalities. Yeah, it's a big and Mississauga area. Mississauga is uh, is a major. Yeah, it's. Oh, yeah, I think it's bigger than. Uh, I think it might be as big as New York state. Oh, don't hold okay. me on that.
0: All. all right, yeah, so pretty big up here. what can we do for our friend uh north of the border?
4: Yeah, uh we started having here in May uh the the city of Mississauga started spraying uh the leaves on the trees. Uh, normally, I wouldn't be uh, worried about it, but I, I've, I've taken to harvesting the the tree the tree leaves mm-hmm. as you suggest for compost. Every winter, mm-hmm. I've done it now for two two years, and this year they started to uh, spray the leaves. and I, And I remember you heard saying one time that it's the safest compost because nobody goes up there and spray it to, with insecticides or anything. And, and look at this; it happened. So, but uh, they sprayed it with a—they call it a BTK. Oh. It's called a bacillus. Bacillus ther- thuringiens.
0: Bacillus thuringiensis Kurstaki uh, strain. Yes. Um, yeah, and it has
4: different names too. And it. Well. It's for the the gypsy moth, we're trying to get rid of up here.
0: Oh. Okay, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Gypsy moths are ravenous caterpillars that can not only defoliate right. trees, but they uh, they poop out so much frass um, that they actually contaminate rivers and streams with E. coli. So uh, oh. they're nothing to play around with. Bt, uh-huh. this is the most basic form of Bt. This goes back to a discovery in Thorin, Germany, which is where we get uh, Thuringiensis. Um, there was this little town where everybody went to buy their bread because it was the only bread they could find that didn't have, quote, worms in it. Uh, you know, like pantry moth oh. larvae. starch. And people were happy Um, thinking this must be the most perfectly processed grain around. But it wasn't. The bakers were lazy. Um, When the grain came in, they didn't clean the dirt off of it. And in that dirt was the naturally occurring bacillus um, of Thorin that killed any caterpillar that would eat the plant. So... The caterpillars had been there, they were dying as they ate the uh, the wheat before processing. So it took many years to discover what was happening, um, but that was the discovery of the essential organism, Bt. There's many thousands of types of Bt, only a few of which have been oh. found to have value. You have Bt, oh. And, you know, people who are looking for Caterpillar control, I urge them uh, to just look up the letters B-T, because when you add the K, you get to these horrifying stories about a serial killer who used those initials. So just B-T, Ethericide, Dipel, those are brand names. Um, So... As these hungry, hungry caterpillars eat the leaves on the trees, their stomachs stop working almost immediately, and then they die, protecting the tree. As I like to say, a bird could swoop down and eat one of those caterpillars that was dying. The bird would not be hurt. Right. Caterpillar hits the ground. A toad comes up and eats it. The toad will not be hurt. Nearby waterways will not be hurt by any kind of overspray. It is perhaps the safest insecticide um, known to man at this point, and it Uh is excellent at caterpillar control, and there would be no trouble in taking those leaves when they fall, shredding them up, and using them— to make compost or as mulch to cover your beds over the winter. Very good. And, um, the, you know, the only thing I can think of is if some ca- uh, some moth laid its eggs in your compost bin, uh, the caterpillars wouldn't survive. Well,
4: that's, I can go for that, yeah. It that's is right.
0: 100% okay. organic, and it's protecting your... Your love of starches, which we talked about before we went on the air.
4: <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. yeah, the traditional way of eating, yes, of course. All, All right. right. Well, thank you very much. That, that certainly is answers, and I'll be able to harvest it this winter or this yes. fall. Yes, yeah. With
0: well, no worries. No worries very whatsoever. Good. Thank you. Thank you very much. My pleasure, thank Carlos. You, care. you take care. It. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. As always, like Thanos, it is inevitable. It is time for the question of the week, which we are calling Pulverize Your Garlic. And at least a small portion of the answer will contain those instructions. It has been well established that I am gaga over hardneck garlic. The colors, the flavors, the complete lack of vampires in my house. But as I acknowledged in last week's thrilling episode, hardneck garlic does not store well. You're lucky if a July harvested crop doesn't start re-sprouting by September. And as soon as those little green sprouts appear in the center of a clove, the flavor begins to change and not for the better, more like for the bitter. That's a very short window of fresh garlic goodness, which leads many to turn to preservation techniques. A popular but ill-advised example is to store individual cloves in a jar filled with olive oil, which sounds like a good idea until you realize that the risk of botulism is fairly high with this adventure. Professionally made garlic in oil products have been... But they've been professionally made, and that's how they manage to avoid this extremely nasty danger. Then there's black garlic, the result of placing whole garlic bulbs in a hot and humid environment for anywhere from a couple of weeks to three months to induce a form of fermentation via the Maillard reaction, a process that is used to brown and caramelize many foods. Blackened garlic is said to lose most of its original flavor and then acquire dozens, maybe hundreds, of new flavors with hints of sweetness, acidity, and umami. The site WebMD praises the positive health benefits of black garlic, citing its high level of antioxidants and its ability to potentially fight off cancer, especially colon cancer, dementia, Alzheimer's disease, liver problems, high cholesterol, and high triglycerides, to name just a few. They also provide the easiest and most straightforward recipe for making it yourself. We'll provide a link to their article and recipe with this question of the week when it's posted at the Gardens Alive website. Hey, you know, I still have a bunch of unbroken heads. I think I should try this myself. But as fascinating as this subject seems, it is not a solution to the long-term storage problem. So it's back to the alleged topic for today. To recap last week's diatribe, the garlic bulbs you harvest should be big and fat and covered by a paper-like wrapper. They should be cured for about two weeks in a cool, dry location out of the sun and turned frequently while enjoying exceptional air circulation. Underneath a ceiling fan or in the path of a regular oscillating fan would be ideal. About a week after it's done curing, cut the leaves and stalk off, brush the dirt off the bulbs, and go to wake. Like. Slide your thumbnail in between the individual cloves and work the bulb until you can easily separate the cloves without damage. Now don't worry if the outer skin comes off a few cloves. Just set them aside for cooking or for the grinding. We will finally explain shortly. Same for small cloves. We're only after the big ones right now. Figure out how many cloves you want to plant this fall for next year's harvest and set aside that number of big ones for your replanting. Then pause in the cracking of the remainder of the bulbs apart while you figure out whether you want to gift some or try to make black garlic. Don't use cloves to make garlic-infused vinegar. The master of Pocono garlic vinegar production, the late Frank Pollack, explained that he only used the green leaves from his harvested garlic to make his legendary concoction. After you are done that, separate out the cloves from the remaining heads and set aside the largest ones. If any are bigger than the cloves in your planting hoard, swap them out. Always plant your largest cloves. Use the smallest ones for putting up, like now. You're going to need a food dehydrator for this next step. Hey, they're great tools for a gardener to have around. Slice off the root portion of your cloves and remove the wrapper. Rubbing the cloves around in a bowl of water makes this easy. Then slice the cloves into chunks and place them on one of the drying racks. Depending on the device, the chunks should be good and dry in a few days. Make sure they are bone dry. If any feel a little rubbery, keep drying. Now, place some of the dried chunks in glass jars with a few of those desiccating pouches that come in bottles of vitamins and such. Tighten the lid and store it in a cool, dry, dark place. Like whole coffee beans, you'll grind these up as needed for absolute freshness. Now, select a clean spice jar with a shaker lid insert. Remove the insert and drop in a couple of them desiccating things. Then grind up the rest of the dried cloves in a dedicated coffee grinder that has never been used for coffee. Come on, buy a cheap one or make a lucky find at a flea market or thrift store. Grind your garlic into a powder. Use a little funnel to get it all in the jar. Replace the insert, tighten the lid, and store out of direct sun on your dining room table. Then, when you want to add garlic to a dish, you just shake it on. The flavor is thousands of times better than commercial garlic powder and will wow your guests. If you have a lot of garlic, label a few jars for holiday gift-giving. And whenever you visit anybody, ask if they have any old spice jars. Well, that sure was some helpful information about preserving great garlic, now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the Question of the Week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over at your leisure or your leisure, just click the link for the Question of the Week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you will always find the latest Question of the Week at the Gardens Alive website. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly from the Univest Studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he was accidentally locked in a time-controlled underground vault during a nuclear explosion experiment and emerged without shoelaces. Yikes, my producer is threatening to stop grinding my garlic. If I don't get out of the studio, we must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888 492 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teaming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please, please include your location, where you live. And don't forget, all of you podcast and radio listeners can see me demonstrate step by step my garlic preservation instructions at the video section of youbetyourgarden.org. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I will continue drying and grinding my garlic in the best-smelling house in the USA until I can see you again next week.
1: was the Cole Porters playing Chopping the Garlic live at the Green Note.